0: good morning everyone happy Father's Day good to see you this morning's message as I think about it is exactly what brother Steve prayed that we would be conformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ that's what we pray for that's what we desire and I have to be honest with you my introduction changed this morning in my kitchen as I was contemplating this text. But first, I just want to thank Brother Alex. Thank you for bringing us the Word last week to set our hearts and minds on things above. This morning, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to walk through these verses, verses 20 through 26. And as I contemplated these verses, my mind immediately went two weeks ago when I shared with you my encounter with the Jehovah Witness Barber and how I responded then in my youth. And so as I was thinking about that and, and other responses to other opponents, I was really wrestling with, Lord, how do I be exactly like you against every opponent? Because as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the Jehovah Witness leader, that's specifically trained to trip up Christians. And we are to refute those and rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Versus maybe somebody who is an honest seeker, and they're seeking the truth. And I'm thinking, how do we respond to that person? And then I thought of the text this morning. But it wasn't just that. I thought about this past week. I don't know if you've been watching the Southern Baptist Convention. What happened there with Rick Warren. They were thinking about excommunicating his church because he's ordaining female pastors. And so he came and he made an appeal. And his appeal was there's a difference he sees in the Scriptures between the office of elder and the gifting of elder and pastor. And so obviously he thinks they're different and since women can be gifted with teaching, we believe that, they can have the title of pastor. And I thought that's a terrible argument according to the Bible. And I was feeling, I'll be honest, I was feeling like that little red emoji <laughs> that has symbols across the mouth. And then I thought about the text this morning. Lord, how can I respond with gentle but firm correction? So those, those are the things that's go through my mind. It's Pride Month. How do we respond? How do we respond when Nancy Pelosi says something about abortion is opposed to the Gospel of Matthew? She didn't elaborate. I have no idea what that means. How do we respond? This morning's text is relevant. I think it's very relevant, especially with some of that kind of stuff comes into the church. So I see actually two main points, two main points in this text. Number one, and this is primarily for the pastor, but I was thinking as we're celebrating Father's Day, apply this because this is the greatest gift you can give to your children. Any man in the room, But primarily for the pastor, here it is, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself of any kind of false teaching, false beliefs. Cleanse yourself of false teaching and sinful living so that you can be an awful instrument in the hand of the Lord. And I borrowed that phrase from somebody, and I'm going to tell you who said that later on in the sermon. But that's the first thing that I see in the first section that flows kind of into the second section of how Paul tells Timothy to respond even against false teachers and opponents. Especially as a young man. And here it is. Flee from the sinful impulse, especially as a youngster, to fight over stupid stuff. And gently correct. Gently correct with the truth. So those are the two things that I see in a text this morning, so let's dive in here. Number one: stay away from false teaching and sinful living in the church, so that you can be an awful instrument in the hand of the Lord. To illustrate this, Paul uses the imagery of a wealthy home, has all kinds of utensils and furnishings that are used in the house. Look at verse 20. Second Timothy. Chapter 2 verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. That's what he means there. And I think this is a simple enough illustration. We can imagine our own house. We're far richer than most of the world. We got lots of stuff in our house. We got stuff we use for noble purposes and not so noble purposes. So Paul calls this a great house. I take that to mean that this is a this is a big house that's owned by a wealthy family or master, and there's vessels of gold and silver in the house, he says. Whatever it is, pots, pans, silverware, plates, you get the idea. That were used for honorable purposes. Maybe like serving a meal to honored guests, or even eating a meal as an upper class family, you broke out the China. Right? The silver and the gold. You don't break out the wood and the clay. And then I thought about those cool little wooden tongs that we have for salad. But That's not what he's talking about here. <laughs> Actually, back in the day, one commentator said they would use wood and clay for the garbage. Not just the garbage, but human waste. Human waste. And then I thought, oh, Lord, thank you for the invention of the toilet. But that would be absolutely disgusting, right? Uses a fork or a plate. Master of the house would never bring that out for his family or his guest. He would be absolutely appalled at the sight, Don't use that for these purposes, that's for the toilet. Not for silver, gold, forks, and plates and cups. Bring that stuff out. I want to honor my guest and my family. And so now the question is, how does that relate to what he's about to say in verse 21? And I got questions. What does the great house represent? This is an illustration. Who are the vessels of gold and silver that have honorable use? And who? Who are the wood and the clay for dishonorable use? First, I think the great house represents the church. Some say the world. I say the church. I get that from First Timothy 3.15. You remember this. Paul says, if I delay in coming, you know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So it's the church. We're talking about the church here. So the next question. Who are the vessels of silver and good that are used for honorable purposes? My answer, the true and faithful pastors in the church due to the context of the letter. So people like Timothy and people like Paul. And if you want to apply this concept to the rest of the church, all true believers in Jesus Christ who are born again, spirit-indwelled, blood-bought people that are used for honorable purposes. And then next, clay pots, wooden spoons for dishonorable purposes. I think these are false teachers. Primarily in the context of this letter. People like Hymenaeus and Philodus, Verse 17. That are teaching false doctrine about the resurrection that leads to ungodliness. Right? Do you remember how I explained that? They were teaching the resurrection already happened. How so? They were teaching that the soul was already raised with Christ and it's there. The body doesn't matter. There's not going to be a future resurrection for the physical body. The physical body is bad. So you can do whatever you want with your physical body. That leads to dishonor and immorality. So I think the contrast is clear here. Paul is still comparing the good workmen versus the bad workmen. Like we saw two weeks ago. The honorable versus the dishonorable. The Pauls and Timothys of the world versus the Hymenaeuses and the Philatuses of the world. The true teachers of God's Word versus the false teachers who are teaching the devil's Word. And so now my question is, what makes the difference between these two types of teachers? and the people in the church, if you want to apply this to the people in the church. I think verse 21 makes all the difference in the world between these two types of people. And it has to do with cleansing. Cleansing. Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now you know, whenever Paul says, therefore, therefore, what I'm about to say is based on what I just said, right? That's how you read the Bible. What I just said about honorable and dishonorable vessels in the house. If anybody, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, cleanses himself, means to get rid of thoroughly. Ever hear the word catharsis? (laughs) Not many. I don't use that word very much either. But it means to cleanse yourself completely, totally. Get rid of. And then the question is, from what? What's dishonorable, he says? Dishonorable. And I take that to mean false teaching and sinful living. False teaching and sinful living. And at first I thought, this applies to Hymenaeus and Philetus, because they are dishonorable. And a fair amount of commentators went there. But when I read verse 22 and I saw the connecting word so So, I thought, well, I think this refers to Timothy as well. Because you know this. Even a strong believer and a strong pastor in the Lord has to keep walking with the Lord. He has to. He has to stay away and keep staying away from false doctrine and sinful living. He's got to fight that good fight, Brother Tim. He has to stay at it. Because this stuff can slowly creep in. False teaching, sinful living, it can erode his beliefs and his behavior. We see it all the time. I thought of an example. How can, how can this happen sometimes to pastors? And I don't know if I've encountered this a whole lot previously or uh, just recently, but I remember when pastors would use the text in 1 Corinthians 9... And and you'll remember this. Do you remember that text? I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Remember that text? I remember back in the day when some pastors would use that text and they would justify that text in drinking alcohol or doing drugs to be able to fit in With the people that are doing drugs and drinking alcohol so that they'll like them and then I'll be able to preach the gospel to them. And I thought, that's not right. You're not supposed to join them in sinful living to win them from sin. Paul's talking about culture. I've become like a Jew. I become like one that's not under the law to win them, to share Christ with them. I don't join them in sin, sinful living, so that I can win them from sin. That's not what he's talking about. But you see how this kind of stuff can creep into the church. So if any pastor cleanses himself, keeps himself clean from false teaching and sinful living, Paul says he will become an honorable vessel, useful to the Lord. Useful to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is why. This is why life and doctrine really matters. Both matter. Both matter. I'm going to say it again. Both matter. There's teaching out there, and you probably heard it. Give me Jesus, don't give me doctrine. Have you ever heard that? He is doctrine. He wrote it. And usually what they mean by that is, I just want love. Doctrine is love. Love is doctrine. That's the doctrines of the Christian faith. It includes love. Don't separate Jesus from doctrine ever. It's His Word. It's His doctrine. But they both are so important, right? You notice in the text, false teaching leads to ungodliness, right? Belief, behavior, go together. You have impure doctrine, impure thinking, impure believing. It's going to lead to impure living. The reverse is true. If we have pure doctrine, pure thinking, believing, every word that Jesus has said, we're going to live according to it. So pastors have to give themselves to pure doctrine and pure living. This is why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, hold the faith. Hold to faith. I take that to mean pure doctrine and a good conscience because you're living it out. So the whole point, I think, boils down to this. For the pastor, for you if you apply it, even for the false teacher, Hymenaeus, if you want to be a clean vessel set apart for the Lord's use, cleanse yourself. Imagine if Hymenaeus finally said, Repent! They would cleanse themselves! I was wrong! I was wrong about the resurrection! (laughs) Repent and have faith in the truth of the gospel! The Lord will use them. The Lord will use them mightily. And that goes for anybody who cleanses themselves from false teaching and sinful living. Honorable use, Paul says. Honorable use use i mean think about him think about paul and how he was and how the lord used him even the lord jesus christ said in acts 9 15 to ananias go get paul he's a chosen vessel of mine to carry my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel he repented of his sin god showed up saved him, repents of his sin and his dishonorable use right Oh, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. That's how he was when he was a dishonorable vessel and a dishonorable... He he killed Christians and then Jesus saved him and then he becomes the mightiest missionary that this world has ever seen. That's what Jesus does. It's what he does. It's what he does. Oh, cleanse... Cleanse yourself. Keep ourselves clean. This is why I pray. I pray all the time. I pray every morning, Lord, help me to watch my life and doctrine closely. Help me not to be a hypocrite, saying that I believe all these things and not living them out. Please, I beg you by your mercy and your grace, help me, help me to hold fast to pure doctrine and pure living. And then when I blow it, I repent and I ask for his help to get back up on my horse again. Do you do that? Pure doctrine, pure living. Here's why, gang, God has set us apart for holiness. You see that? Look at the text. Set apart as holy. Set apart as holy. Timothy, God has set you apart just like He set me apart before I was ever born, Paul said in Galatians, to be holy, to be holy as He is holy. Holy, hear that one before? Have you read that one? Be holy as I am holy. Leviticus 11.45 five. First Peter, Peter mentions this. And this is incredible. This, this is incredible to me. And I just preached this at a high school graduation because I think it's so important. Peter, when he says this, When he talks about being saved, he doesn't emphasize justification in that text, even though justification is absolutely true and the reason Christ died. But I take what Peter says in that text to mean that Christ died for our holiness. Our holiness. You were ransomed, Peter says. The blood of Christ is we talking about. You were ransomed. Ransomed from what? Because ransom means to be purchased, bought back. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Meaning the sinful ways that was passed down from Adam to your grandparents and to your parents and to you, which is why we do what we do. We think what we think. We say what we say. Because we're sinners. But Peter is saying here, Jesus Bought you. He died for you. Yes, to justify you before God. And justify means it's a legal term to declare you not guilty before God. Not guilty of your sins because the wages of sin is death. They were laid on Jesus. All of your sins laid on Jesus. Took them away. He died in your place. Took them away. Wrath of God. that We deserve for all eternity to hell for the things that we've done. Jesus bore it on himself, took it away. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before God, holy, pure, clean, and to hear him say, Come, totally forgiven, totally accepted. Justification, we preach that, we love it. But Jesus also died to make us holy in this life. Sanctification is another word. It's another word for this. Sanctification. He died to make us holy. I don't think we preach this enough in our pulpits. Because if you're not being sanctified, then you weren't justified. But it's a reason. Another reason Jesus died is to set us apart from sin and set us apart for God. He died for our holiness. We were set apart for holiness. And then... To be an awful instrument, useful in the hands of the Lord. Look at what he says next. He'll be useful to the master of the house. The master of the house. You know who the master of the house. I hope you know who the master of the house is. It's not me. It's Jesus. He's the master of this house. In every true house church, Across the world. He's the master. He's the head of the church. Think of the word master. We're servants. That's what he's saying here. We are servants. We are his servants. We don't serve ourselves. We are his servants. And our job as his servants is to preach and teach and to proclaim his word, not my word, not my opinions. Master of the house. And oh boy, I thought, man, if a preacher and a pastor, oh, if they give themselves to pure doctrine and pure living, he will be used mightily by God. Right? We think, we see, we know those people. Think about the Apostle Paul. Cleansed himself. The Lord came, saved him, cleanses himself, becomes a mighty missionary, plants churches. Talk about mighty use of the Lord. Think about all the other disciples. Man, that he saves, he calls, he empowers, he enables. They go out, they preach, they strengthen the church. Some he puts in the church to pastor, he's mightily by the Lord. I, I love Christian history. I didn't, I didn't always love Christian history like in the beginning of my walk, but then I'm reading about all these faithful guys all through the generation. I'm like, these guys are awesome. You need to read about these guys, how the Lord saved them, cleansed them, and became mighty instruments in the hands of the Lord. Even amidst all the opposition that they would face. Think about the Reformation. How he saves and cleanses a Martin Luther. And he goes up against the Catholic false doctrine. Uses him mightily for the Lord. You're here because of him. Protestant churches exist because of his discovery of the gospel. And how that has flowed down. The mighty men that the Lord is using, there's a lot of mighty men. A lot of them are unknown, but I think of the MacArthurs of the world and the Sprouls of the world and the Pipers of the world because God saved them, cleansed them, set them apart, and now they are mighty vessels used for God's people. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Now, With that premise, now Paul's going to tell Timothy, run away from sin. Run away. Flee and pursue the things of God. Cleanse yourself. Keep yourself cleansed from false doctrine and sinful living. Become a vessel for honorable use Set apart, useful, ready for every good work. Brothers and sisters, I'll say it again. Jesus died to make us holy and for good works. Not by good works. We aren't saved because of good works. We are saved for good works. To do for His glory, for each other's good. And it brings joy to our souls. That's why that's at the end there. Ready for every good work. That's part of why God saved us. You read that in Ephesians. We are workmen created by God before the foundation of the world for good works. For good works. So Timothy, because of that, flee sin and run after purity. Look at verse 22. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy, you have to flee from sin, from youthful passions like a fugitive. That's the word for fleeing. Fugitive, one commentator said. You've got to run, man. You've got to run like Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's a movie. Fugitive. Because the U.S. Marshals, I guess, were hunting him down. They thought he murdered his wife, but I guess he was framed. So he's setting out to find the real killer. But they're after him. They're after him. It's the same idea with sinful passions. Paul says to Timothy, run away from them. Their desire is to have you, to capture you, to overtake you, especially youthful passions. And the question is, why does he say that? I think you wanted the answer because Timothy is what? Young. Right? He's young. He's a young man, so he can be prone to certain sins. But the question is, okay, what are these youthful, sinful passions that he should watch out for and run away from? What are they? I want to know because he was forty, and maybe I'm still considered young. I doubt it, but I think we can all be prone to some of these. And a lot of people, a lot of people think it's sexual sin, which is which is really true. It's really true for, for a young pastor. It could be a pastor of any age. But I think, I think in the context of this letter and what he's about to say next, I think the main sinful passion that he's warning Timothy about is arrogance and impatience and a love to fight over dumb stuff. Like a young pastor can be prone to do because he loves to win arguments. He loves to win arguments and look smart in front of everybody around him. So they think that he's the cat's meow. Right? And that's more important to him than the other person's sincere salvation or edification. And so they get caught up in these stupid fights. And they don't mean a blasted thing. And so Paul's telling Timothy, watch out for that. Watch out for that. Especially things that don't biblically matter. Flee. Flee from that. Now here's the key to fighting any kind of sin. Not just that sin. And I love this about the Apostle Paul, but it's really our master to us. You know, Paul never ever says to run away or put off without giving us something else to run to, right? Or put on. And that's so key to the Christian life. It's absolutely key to the Christian life. Yes, yes, we are to fight sin. We are to kill sin. We are to run away from sin. But we cannot Keep our eyes on sin and focus on sin and just live there and be dragged down by it. Repent, turn, and run. I thought of a runner. What would happen to a runner? He's running, right? And he's always looking back. He's always looking back or looking at the runners around and what's he gonna do? He's gonna run to the stands. What should he be doing? Focused on that finish line. Staying in his lane fixed. Setting his heart and mind on things above what you heard last week. That's essentially what Paul is doing here. Flee from sin and pursue God. Pursue God. Pursue, and he says, righteousness, holiness, doing what is right. That's what he means. Pursue righteousness, Dwell on righteousness, Timothy. Oh, the righteousness that you have received because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He took away your sin and He gave you a perfect record of obedience. His perfect record of obedience. He gave it to you. That's, your, that's in your account. So you can stand before God. Holy, righteous, your sins are gone. God sees you like this now, not like this. Pursue that, Timothy. Pursue that, Timothy. And in this life, He set you apart for holiness. Pursue righteousness. Killing sin and pursuing the things of the Lord like love and joy and peace. Become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Pursue that, Timothy. Pursue that and pursue faith, He says. Pursue faith. Yes, Timothy, you've been saved by faith. Faith is a gift of God when you came to salvation In the Lord Jesus Christ. But we heard it this morning. It's always a fight. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Keep fighting for it. Oh, whenever the flesh rises up and doubts rise up in your mind, Timothy, kill it, kill it. Ask the Lord for help. Help me to believe. Anybody ever pray that? I pray that all the time. Lord, increase my faith. The disciples asked him that. I do believe. out my unbelief. It's a fight. It's a fight every day. Timothy, oh, flee from those youthful, stupid things and go after faith. Go after faith. Righteousness. Faith. Love. We know. We know that the essence of Christianity is love. God is love. He loved the world. He sent the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I loved you and I love you all the way to the end. The world will know that you're my disciples if you... Love one another. First fruit of the Spirit is love. I think when you want to see revival in a church, that's the first thing you're going to see. is love. Loving like Jesus. Living for others. Sacrificing. Going the extra mile. Love. Run after those things. Love your wife. Love God. Love your children. Love one another deeply, as Peter would say. Love and then peace. Peace. Anybody want more peace? Lord, give us the grace to go hard after peace. And praise God, there's different uses of peace. We have peace with God, don't we? Because of Jesus. He's no longer, he's no longer angry at us. We're no longer at enmity with God hostile in mind because we love sin and love darkness because of Jesus Jesus took all that away God was angry because of our sin but Jesus took both our sin and his anger and took it away we have peace with God God says now come, come, come because of my son's blood come, no longer angry I'm 100% for you, is that glorious or what? and then his people can have the peace of God, right? because he promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us Ever. So we have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And, and Lord willing, we have peace with one another. That should really be a mark of the Christian church. We have peace with one another. And as far as it depends on us, this is what Paul says, we have peace out there, even though they may not have peace with us. We try to be at peace with others. Oh, Here's the overall point, I think, and here's where I borrowed that phrase from. This is a young man who died, pastor, a Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane. Listen to this, he said, It's not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of the Lord. A holy minister is. Spurgeon said something similar. He said, let a man once become really holy, even though he has but the slenderest possible ability And he will be a fitter instrument in the hands of the Lord than the man of gigantic accomplishments who is not obedient to the divine will or clean and pure in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. And I'm praying, I'm begging, I'm pleading, Lord, make me a holy man so that I can be used. Do you pray that? Help me to be a holy man so that I can be used. And then used in this way against our opponents. Avoiding stupid fights and gently correcting. Gently correcting. I think this is the point Paul makes. Verses 23 through the first part of 25. Listen to what he says. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I thought, oh Lord, this is how your servants, your pastors are supposed to behave in the church, in the church, and I need your power to do it. We all need His power to do this because we can't do anything apart from Him. I want to be just like Him. And I want to be able to discern like He did when to be firmer against the Pharisees or to be gentle and kind with people who are hurting, right? You ever? I don't know if you ever wrestle over those things. And so the first thing he says, don't fight over stupid stuff. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. I'm thinking about what the two guys, the false teachers, are teaching. Resurrection already happened. It already happened. And so they're they in the church. They're in the church, and they're talking about this stuff, and maybe they're given a platform. This is stuff that has really happened, and it's probably happening in Timothy's church. And they're going back and forth. Maybe some people are buying into it, and they just constantly argue, argue, argue. Or back in First Timothy, remember what he said? Oh my goodness, they love talking about genealogies, myths. They love this stuff. Oh, I come from so and so's clan. When you come from that clan, my clan's better than your clan. God loves my clan better than yours. Who knows what they're just going back and forth when they're in the? If they truly belong to Jesus, they're in Christ's clan. And so I think Paul is telling him, don't. Get yourself trapped into those arguments long term. Avoid those. Gently correct opponents and then maybe walk away. (laughs) It's the next thing we see him telling him in 24 and 25. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And again, gang, you can't just read really quickly through the Bible. The first part there is very important. It says the Lord's servant. That's who I am. That's who Paul is. That's who Timothy is. You're a servant. So again, we're not serving ourselves. We're serving Him. Him. And what He says says. And how he says to conduct ourselves. And what he says is not to be quarrelsome. Do you know that's a qualification for an elder? First Timothy. He must not be violent, gentle, and not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. As opposed, I'm thinking to the false teachers. They love to fight. They love to twist up the Scriptures. Just keep coming at you and at you and at you like that Jehovah Witness did with me. And when you get engaged in that as a pastor and they don't back down, you really have to watch the flesh. You really got to watch it. The flesh can rise up. The flesh can get really angry in a sinful way. And then all of a sudden, in the words of one pastor, you go after people with rash words and a right hook. Paul says it's not what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be full of the Spirit. And you are to be kind and gentle to everyone, he says, to everyone again, which is really interesting to me. I'm, I'm wrestling between this thing because you have Paul with the Judaizers in Galatians 1. He, he goes after those guys because they're messing with the gospel. So you got to be a bit firmer with those people. You got to be bold. Got to be bold. And then there's, there's other opponents that may be, and you never know. Those guys might repent and come to faith. That has happened. And so he's saying, be be gentle, be kind, be patient with these people. Teach them the truth. Teach them the truth. And don't mistake gentleness for weakness. Don't mistake that at all. When was Jesus ever weak? Never. But he was meek. Do you know what meek is? For him, all the power in the universe under control. Under control. He never backed down ever always spoke the truth and depending on his audience he bit firmer with some more gentler with others now here's the goal and this is how we're going to end here's the goal god might save this person god might save this person so somebody said this and i think this is key for motivations whenever we have an opponent Remember in your mind that you're trying to win their soul, not the argument. Right? Not the argument. For argument's sake especially. And this is where he goes, 25 and 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will, his will. So don't worry. Don't worry about winning arguments for argument's sake. Worry about winning the soul. And you know you could apply that. I think this morning, as a dad, have an argument, kids, dad. You know how <clears throat> flesh can rise up, and you just want to lay the law and authoritative, and you don't engage your kids. But Paul Tripp really helped me, and it's really similar to this. Paul Tripp. I don't know if you know Paul Tripp. He got a big old mustache, about this big, but he's got great advice. Here's what he said: Be careful that you don't make redemptive moments into angry moments. That changed me big time. So now when I come home and my kids are fighting over something, and I just want to come home, I just want to go to the TV and drink an iced tea. So what are you doing fighting? Knock it off. Now when I come home, I beg the Lord, help me to make this a redemptive moment so that I can share the gospel with my kids and Show them what their heart is producing in them right now. that can take the time with them and help them to be able to see before Jesus and repent. And, oh, I'm so sorry for being so selfish. What a difference. Angry moments or redemptive moments. And I think this is, this is what he's after. Be gentle. Teach them. You never know. God may grant repentance, turning from sin, turning from the devil. They're ensnared to the devil. Remember that when you have an opponent, the devil has them under his control. So preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to them with gentleness and patience. You never know. God might grant them repentance. I've seen it many times. I've seen Jehovah's Witnesses. I've seen false teachers. I've seen people that were involved in those, those cults come to the knowledge of the truth, which is what Paul says here, to the gospel, and they turn, and they follow Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this text. This text, even though it's pointed at a pastor and how he is to conduct himself, first of all, to be holy, to cleanse himself from false teaching, any sinful living. But all of us can apply this so that we can be an awful instrument in the hand of the Lord so that we can engage people, not get angry over stupid stuff and just keep fighting and fighting and fighting over stupid stuff, but point them to Jesus, point them to the gospel. Be gentle and correct. We are to correct. And Lord, we live in a day and age when it's supposedly not right or hateful to correct, but that is not true according to you. We all need correction. We're sinners. But help us to do it as you would do it you may perhaps grant that person eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. At the end of the day, make us all more like you. And all of God's people said, Amen.